Well, you may not be a parent here today, but you do, whether you realize it or not, have an impact, every last one of you, on children. In fact, the previous two sermons in our series titled Intentional Discipleship, they were all about men and women discipling other younger or maybe even spiritually less mature men and women, which includes, of course, boys and girls, children and youth, doesn't it? This is the same topic here to close our series, but it's simply focused on children's discipleship, children and youth discipleship. Sermon today will certainly relate to those of you who are parents here, of course, as it directly relates to your context of life, but it's going to relate to everyone in our church, young and old, married or not, not only parents, but grandparents, aunts, uncles, church members, children's ministry leaders, youth ministry leaders, all of us alike, this sermon is for us all. And this sermon is going to be about what? Pointing children to Jesus and helping them to see Jesus Christ as Savior as we evangelize them, even as Daryl pointed to us today in our time of prayer, but then also to helping those younger ones in our churches, in our homes that, that may end up being converted, that become believers, helping them to follow and grow and to become more and more like Jesus Christ every single day themselves. It's a sermon about doing spiritual good to young children and even older teens or even young adults. And just like Christian men and women need to have it on their radars, as we saw the last few sermons, Radars to do spiritual good and to mentor others and to coach others or to disciple others in the church and in their homes, as we've seen. I want us all, every last one of us here, to have it on our radars to have a plan for the discipling of the children and youth in our homes and church as well. I want that for us. So let's consider together six. This is going to be quickly because we've got six points and only so much time. And I also say it's going to be quick because there's so much more to be said on these topics. But let's consider six important aspects of children's discipleship that will help spur us on in this very important endeavor. And here they are. You see them already on the screen. Give you the big picture where we're going. We must love them. We must worship with them. We must teach them, disciple them, and correct and lead them. That's where we're going. So let's look at number one together. We must love them. Psalm 127 and verse 3 says this, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. 
12 years ago, when God was gracious to bless me and Stacy with our first child, we had a lot of opinions about parenting, didn't we, honey? But we had no clue about what life would be like and how things would be ahead. And certainly, no idea that we'd have five other little ones follow suit soon thereafter. Not soon, but within the next 12 years. And I can relate a little bit to something I read this past week. As one man put it, he said, When I was young, I had six theories and no kids. Now, I have six kids and no theories. Parenting humbles us, doesn't it? I'm learning every single day. Stacy is learning and growing every single day. We are learning this thing called parenting. But one thing I knew then for sure is that I loved my child. Loved her even before she was born as we were praying for her in the womb. We had an unconditional love for her as I love all of my children. But as a Christian, you see, I loved her differently than worldly parents would love their children. We know unbelievers love their children, but, but it's different. Why? Because I love her and I love all of my children with a gospel kind of love that only Christians have. Consider 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19. We love because he first loved us. You see, Christians love in a gospel kind of way. We have experienced the love like no other ourselves. We experience the love of God through Jesus Christ who was sent to die for sinners like you and like Me, who died. Why? So that we can live. Christians, I want all of us to remember that your love for others, children included, is fueled by this gospel reality that you have experienced in your lives yourselves. We are fueled to love our children if we are parents and to love the children in our church, and community by the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. And I hope that we all can get a glimpse of this, that we need to be missionaries, evangelists even, seeking to fulfill the great commission of Jesus Christ in our homes as we share this gospel with our kids and in our church community as we share the gospel with young people that come through our doors. And I want to remind you, despite how cute our little ones are, and our newborn Noah, it's really so cute, and little babies are just adorable, right? And to parents especially, all of our kiddos are just so adorable to us. We love them. But despite how cute your little ones are, despite that, we realize that they are born sinners in need of a gospel just like us. 
We don't like to think of our kids in any way that is negative. But the Bible, you see, teaches us, and if we're honest, experience teaches us that they are sinners in need of a Savior, just like us. So give those little sinners, those toddler sinners, those elementary age sinners, those unbelieving uh, teenage sinners, believing or not, right? They're sinners in need of help. Even those unbelieving adult sinners who may have grown up, give them the gospel. They need it, just like you need it. Those of us going through our discipleship table talk meetings know, after reading the gospel primer by Milton Vincent, that believers and unbelievers alike need to be reminded and told the gospel. So you can't have too much of it, can you? Not at all. And giving them the gospel, I hope you could see this, it is the most profound way that you could love children. Do you believe that? If so, give it to them. But also Psalm 127 said, right, children are a gift. So enjoy them. Have fun with them. Be thankful for them. Children are not a nuisance, as our culture would say, but a heritage, as the Bible says. So love them, parents, as God has loved you first. Love them before they even know who you are. Love them first, like God has loved them, loved you first. And church members, believers, adults, maybe, you can love the children in our church even if they aren't your own. Even if they're rambunctious and loud. And even if they don't even show you any love back at all. Even if they're little rebels coming in. Or to put it nicer, handfuls. I know what that could be. I've got six kids. Even if they're handfuls, we can show Christ-like love to the children in our home and in our church because God has loved us rebels first. So I encourage us all, love the children in your home and in your church. This leads us to our second point. And number two, worship with them. Psalm 34.3 says this, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name Together. One of the things that makes God, God, is that he alone is worthy of worship. Only him. Like I said before, our children aren't born saved. They aren't born just worshiping God on their own. Our children in our homes and the children in this church and community need to be led to what it looks like to worship God by you, Christians. They will prioritize to do other things, to be sure. But as Christians, you see, we must prioritize and put forward the main thing. And we must help lead the way in the worship of the only one who's truly deserving of worship. Every person's chief end or ultimate priority, as the famous catechism question answer goes, is to what? Glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Children come forth from the womb seeking to find enjoyment and pleasure in all the wrong places. 
And we need to point our little ones towards the source of the ultimate pleasure in life, the ultimate joy and happiness, and that is God himself. They will be drawn to godless sources of pleasure, to be sure, quite naturally. We know that because we too, prior to our conversions... We're drawn to that in the same way. And you know, even as a Christian, that you're tempted towards lesser sources of joy every day because of sin in the flesh. Aren't we all? So we must set the priority while our children are young and in our homes. We should pray for our children and pray to God with our children. We should sing praises to God, exulting in his person and character that we learn about from his word. We should worship God regularly with our children. There's more to be said in the next couple points on this, but sometimes we can get intimidated and discouraged with family worship because we think that we have to spend hours planning lessons. But in reality, the simpler we can keep it, the more that we're actually going to be worshiping God in our homes more regularly. Try this, church, those of you who have children in your home. During dinner or bedtime, maybe in the morning before work, pray and praise God with your kids for a few minutes even. Talk about God with them. Thank God with them. Praise God with them. Also, bring your children to church to prioritize the regular weekly gathering where we worship God together. One of the great reasons and blessings that I am so thankful for to have the opportunity to hear somebody else at this pulpit preaching, even when I'm not on vacation and I'm able to be here to sit with my family and hear the word of God, is not only to be edified by the gift of another preacher in our church so that I could sit and hear and be blessed by the word. And that is so good. And I don't take that for granted because not all local churches of our size especially have multiple men who are able to teach and preach and who have been gifted in that way. So I count that an amazing blessing. But I also love the fact that I get to be able to sit with my kids even when they're younger of age and to remind those little ones. Remember doing it with these ones when they're even smaller. My girls, even when they were small, I remind those little ones why that preacher is up there preaching from that book, what that book is, that authority, that truth, why it matters so much to us that we come here every week to be able to model that. And then when we have communion, to be able to discuss what communion points to, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ died, buried, resurrected for us and for our salvation. What a blessing it is to be able to worship God Together, So parents, don't neglect another opportunity to give your children a picture of worshiping God as they see you prioritizing and other Christians in the room prioritizing the worship of God and the regular weekly services of our church. Don't neglect that, parents. Worship with your children. This leads us to our third point and number three, teach them. As we saw in our last sermon to discipleship related to men, Ephesians 6, 4 says this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, 
but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Teach them. I want to encourage us all that you do not have to be a Bible scholar to teach your kids the word of God. You just have to be a Christian. You just have to love the word of God yourselves. And you have to love your kids. You say, oh, of course I love my kids. If you're a Christian and you say you love the word, I question how much you love them. If you fail and you don't desire to give your kids the word, despite what you might say. If you love the word and you're a Christian and you love your kids, you want to get the word of God exposed to your children. So my question is, do you love the word? Do you believe its message? If so, then I encourage you to read it and discuss it with children in your home and in this church. Now, I know it can be really easy to neglect and to forget because I have neglected it at times myself. I I get that. But I just want us to realize how important it is for us to get the Bible into our kids' hearts as much as we can. But I encourage you just to, to keep it simple. Grab a Bible during dinner. Start reading a book on the Bible. Or another good Christian biblical resource, and little by little, discuss it together throughout the year. And if it's been a while since the last time you taught the Bible in your home, that's okay. Examine your family, reprioritize your schedule, and decide to pick up the Bible today and get it on the calendar when you're going to do it and discuss it with your children. Ask them a few questions to keep them with you. Come on, stay with me. If you're reading Genesis, ask, what day did God create animals? Or Exodus, why did God send the gnats upon the Egyptians? Or Proverbs, what is the beginning of wisdom? Or Matthew, why did Herod want to kill the baby Jesus? Keep it short. Keep it doable. My family can attest to this. I'm regularly doing damage control and breaking up a scuffle or trying to keep food from flying all over the place or you know, clean up spills and they can attest. I was regularly reminded of that. Just give me, just give me about five more minutes of attention here. This is important. This is the word of life. We need this. It's so relevant for our life. Give me a little bit more time. We'll, do, we'll go and do other things, but let's, just, let's pay attention to the word here. You don't need five hours of prep and five hours of lecture. Just start with five or ten minutes at the dinner or a few minutes before bedtime. But you might be like, well, what about practice? Or what about this or that event? I just encourage y'all, just prioritize to do this when you're home together and you have an opportunity. You might be like, I keep forgetting. Or it's so hard to do this every night. Then pick a night or two and prioritize it with your family. I know that it could be challenging. I know that we could forget. And if you miss a week, that doesn't mean that you're a failure. No, pick it up next week. Life happens, and I get that. Things happen. We can forget, or we can have a busy week that gets crowded out. That could happen. In fact, even this past week, 
My plans got crowded out of my own home because of different things. And my plans failed in that. But we're going to make it happen by God's grace next week. By God's grace. I want us to see how important this is. And I want us to be encouraged about how realistic this is. Plan to pray with your family and maybe sing a hymn together. Or if you want, pull up on your phone your favorite Christian song and sing it aloud together at the table and discuss the word a little bit. Fathers, like we saw before in the Sermon on Men's Discipleship, it is your responsibility to lead. Your wives can be involved and they can encourage it and they're going to be involved if they're believers. But if you're a Christian man, you need to prioritize leading your family and doing them spiritual good. It's got to be a priority to us. Think of the book of Proverbs. Much of it is wisdom written by a father to his son. Biblical practical truths regarding the purpose of life, temptations and sin, pursuing a spouse, the character that they should have at work, wise and foolish business endeavors, wise and foolish work habits, a variety of topics including a really angry mama bear that is really, really fun to read and discuss with the kids. They get a kick out of that kind of stuff. Parents, moms, and dads, it's your role and job to teach your kids in these ways. The church will come alongside and help reaffirm the truths that you're teaching at home, but if you're a Christian, the church doesn't replace you. And it doesn't have your job to disciple your kids. The church is there to echo what you are giving your children as Christian parents in the home, not to replace you in this. And of course, teaching is relegated to formal times, even in chaotic times at the dinner table, before bedtime, or even formal times at church. But it also moves beyond these more formal times to the natural overflow of our lives. And this leads us to our fourth point, and number four, disciple them. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5 says this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I commend, command you today shall be on your heart. What does it say in verse 7? You shall teach them diligently to your children. See the priority there, parents? And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And when you rise, hear this, everybody. I want us to be thinking about children's discipleship less like a classroom and more like a constant conversation. Now, there's a place for formal teaching, and we need to have that, and we have that. We need to have a set time to be worshiping God in our home together as a family. But most of our opportunities and interactions and engagement with our children will be out and about and on the go in the everyday aspects of life. I said that I missed the formal time last week, but by God's grace, I didn't miss this in my home. Opportunities to pray with my kids, to have conversations with my kids, to point kids to God from a variety of different ways. This is happening, and it should be on our radar as parents to happen all the time, every second in different times. It needs to be on our hearts in the natural recesses and busy schedules of our lives. 
We need to have our discipleship antennas on all the time with our children as parents and as even youth leaders or as we serve as ministries in our church, as we interact with kids. We've got to have those antennas on. The majority of our engaged intentional discipleship to our children, if we are parents, will be in the continual spiritual conversations that you're already having as you're living as you go on throughout your life. Do you sit in your house? If so, talk about God a little bit with your children. Teach them. If you walk around or maybe drive around, talk about God and the word with your children. You wake up in the morning, your kids wake up, good opportunity to talk about God and to point them to our calling to love him most supremely, as the passage says. Do you go to bed at night? Do your kids go to bed at night? Great opportunity to talk a little bit about God and praise God with them. You see, kids have questions, and we spend time together. We watch movies together. We play at the park together, don't we? You drive to practices and school together. Oh or whatever you do, all these opportunities are great chances to talk with them intentionally about God and his word. So ask them questions. Point out the blessings of God in their lives. Point out the beauty of creation. Thank him for the vacation that you're on. Thank him for the meal, for your job, for their friends, for their family, for their school and teachers. For their sports, thank him, pray to him. Discuss God with your kids every day, all throughout the day at different times. Matt Chandler, pastor of the Village Church in Texas, encourages parents in his book on family discipleship to focus on the moments of life. And he defines those moments like this. He says moments are capturing and leveraging opportunities in the course of everyday life for the purpose of gospel-centered conversations. Now, we've noticed some pretty amazing sunsets here in the Midwest and looking at the beauty of God's creation and the pink sky color with the Gallatin water tower in the background. See, that's a great time to point out to our children, that the heavens are right now declaring the glory of God. See it, kids. Praise God in that moment with them. Show them. The ambulance drives by on the road, or you see an accident as you're out and about. Why not stop and pray with your kids for help in that situation? You see, it reveals that God is there, is real. We care. This faith that we profess, that we talk about on Sundays, is something that, that permeates our whole entire lives. Or at bed, bedtime, I've noticed that kids say the darndest things. Even little kids, they think deep thoughts about life and death. They got big questions. Answer their questions. Ask them some big questions and point them to the Bible and the gospel for answers. Point them to Jesus in those moments. Leverage those moments, as Chandler put it. Stacy and I and every parent who ever lived can affirm this. We'll say things like, man, oh, 
they are just growing up so fast. We have a limited amount of time to disciple daily these moments in our homes. So parents, I just want to encourage us all to be reminded to take advantage of them while we still have time as they're in our homes. God is so glorified in these moments and these intentional conversations. In church, and I can speak for all Christian parents here, I can affirm this for all of us, we want you to also be pointing our kids to Jesus as well. So at Pioneer Clubs or Sunday School or we worship or in between services before and after morning worship or before or after our members meetings or before or after our evening prayer services or at the church picnic or at the football game in between cheering on our bulldogs. We want... Rather, we need you all to be pointing our kids to Jesus as well. The more, the merrier. Children's discipleship is a team sport with the, pri- the, the responsibility primarily residing on the parents, of course, but each and every one of us around us also, grandparents, aunts, uncles, ministry teachers, church members, friends, all of us play a role in echoing these gospel truths and pointing children to Jesus as well. Encourage you in that task. We as parents want more of that influence in our children's lives. I'm thankful for all of you who have pointed my kids to Jesus in a variety of ways. This leads us to our fifth point. Number five, correct them. I already mentioned before that our kids are not born a bunch of Jesuses. I I didn't put it quite like that, but you get the point. They're not born sinless, cute, yeah, lovable, sure, but sinless, not at all. Sometimes parents can sadly be so blind and naive about their kids They can have a kind of pride. No, no, not my child. He would never do that. She would never do that. I hate to break it to you, parents. That's not a biblical view. That's just prideful and false. As J.C. Ryle put it, they, people like this, right, will see the moats in other men's families and overlook the beam in their own. They will be quick-sighted as eagles in detecting mistakes abroad and yet blind as bats to fatal errors which are daily going on at home. I would encourage us as Christians to be realistic and to not be those parents that just think that our kids are just perfect and just kind of trust our kids. Oh, they're just good at heart. But no, no, no. As parents, we need to seek to train and to correct them. Proverbs twenty two fifteen says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Other translation says, Foolishness. But the rod of discipline drives it far from him. 
Or Proverbs 29.15, consider this. This is all over our Bibles. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Or Proverbs 29 and verse 17, discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Rather than our kids being born perfect and sinless, the Proverbs clearly say that our children are born stupid and foolish. They're sinful, not perfect little angel saints. No matter what you think, how you might be drawn to that, but they're born sinful. We need to believe the Bible, not our own like emotions and things, right? Kids don't naturally just come from the womb wise and godly, do they? You see, they're drawn to sin and temptation and foolishness. Left to themselves, they will choose wickedness. They will go astray. That is why they need you, parents. This is why God gave them to you, so that you might teach them and train them and disciple them and correct them. And notice that foolishness and sinful choices that are met with correction in these passages equals your child being helped and pointed in a better direction. Rather than discipline or correction being some terrible, awful experience like our culture would say, rather the Bible teaches us that it will actually produce delight for you. It will produce joy in your home. Correction will be good for your home and family and for your kids. Now, not all discipline is physical correction or spanking, but when those little ones are young, it's a, just a biblical way to help teach and correct your children to establish right from wrong and to help correct them. But also, correction comes in the form of communication and explanation and direction in different ways as well. I call them heart-to-heart conversations with my older kids. Addressing the issues that are going on, the sin that we're seeing in their hearts, rebuking and warning and setting expectations and and giving out other types of consequences. But I want to be clear here, all correction or discipline should be done by a loving, patient, caring Christian parent with the goal of getting getting to your child's heart. Not out of anger, not to hurt them. That is not what discipline is. Never, no, never is that the point of biblical discipline. That is not a biblical view of correction and discipline. Rather, we should use these opportunities when they sin to correct our children as chances even to share the good news of the gospel and remind them of the gospel that saves sinners. Stacy and I are regularly praying with our kids, our little ones, even before and after discipline. Not in anger, but but to teach them, to correct them, to help them, to do good for them out of love. We tell them, we love you. We don't desire to have to discipline you, but this is for your good. And as they get older, the older ones, much of our correction and teaching is trying to get to their hearts and teaching with these moments. These are moments, too, to to address consequences. And though it's different than when they're young, we need to correct them in different ways to teach them uh, to repent and turn towards new ways to move forward and turn away from the sinful actions or desires that we're seeing in their hearts. 
and this is really important, parents, to hear this, you parents will also sin before your spouse and before your children or in other areas in life where it's going to be imperative for you to practice what you preach and to tell your children when you were wrong and to repent yourselves for the sin that you've engaged in and even ask forgiveness of them yourselves and pray to God who is a savior of sinners like you, just like you've prayed for them many times before when they were caught up in their own sin. Pray to God to help and for his forgiveness and model repentance to your children, to children. If you're a parent here and you have never repented to your kids, well, either you are maybe perfect like Jesus. I mean, your kids, we already established, aren't little Jesuses, but maybe you are. Or at least that is what you are teaching your kids when you act like your way is always right and they are always wrong, even when you're sinning and when you're in the wrong. You know how confusing that is to your children? What a hugely terrible example and gospel-less home if you have never repented to your spouse or to your kids when you've sinned. Hear this. If your kids don't know how much you need Jesus and his forgiveness, is it any wonder why they don't think that they need Jesus themselves? May this false, gospel-less, proud, my way or the highway kind of parenting and interaction with children vanish from amongst us. God is the standard here. We all need Jesus, parents and adults and children alike. May we all be seeking him together with humble dependence on his grace and pointing all people, including our our children and ourselves and others, pointing people to Jesus as the solution. This leads us now to our last point and number six. Lead them. Psalm 127 and verse three and following says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So we come back to this well-known verse that we began with this morning, that children are, in fact, a blessing. But notice that part of the blessing here, as that verse goes on, is actually sending your kids out into the world like high-flying arrows directed at its target. Your children will leave the home and go out into the world at some point. Children will leave Sunday school and youth group here and go off to college or work at some point. They will either be prepared and productive Christians to make an impact in their families, workplaces, and communities, or perhaps they might even flounder. Or maybe some of them aren't even saved yet. That is so sad. And many Christian parents bear the heartache of continuing to pray for their unsaved 
adult children. My heart breaks for you parents in that situation. I've got six little ones myself. I don't know what our future holds. We pray and love and model for our kids. I don't know what our future holds. I pray for those of you who have children, adult children, who are not walking in the ways of the Lord. My heart goes out to you as pastor. I love you. I've talked to many of you in that. We pray for our children. And we've got to realize that we can't, as parents, control every last detail of our children's lives, no matter how much good we try to do to them. Not even whether they get saved or not. Despite what some formulaic approaches to parenting say, Jim Neuheiser wrote a good little book, Parenting More Than a Formula. And isn't that right? More than a formula. It's God who sovereignly saves. His spirit blows to and fro wherever it wills. John chapters 1 through 3 for that. In God, it's God who gives spiritual life. Your children are responsible before a holy God. So as J.C. Ryle puts it, if you love your kids, if you care for your kids, you're going to care most supremely for their souls. That's what matters so much, which is why we care about these things. We want to be there. We want to love. We want to do everything we can. But we know this, that we entrust our kids as we entrust everybody To the sovereign hand of God, we need a miracle of work to save them, to transform them. That's why we pray for our children. That's why we pray for unbelievers in our families and in our communities. That's why we pray for those to be saved. We can give the gospel to them, but only God can so transform their hearts. But this reality that our children are on a trajectory from our homes even our churches out into the world should give us all some perspective here. And it should give us all a target to aim at as we think about them as little children, as teenagers, and as future men and women. We should be aiming at teaching biblical truths alongside everything we do along the way, preparing them praying for them, giving them biblical vision for all of life. Talking about marriage. Yes, marriage. Some people like, don't want to talk about marriage and, oh, I want to wait till my kids get really old and I don't like the idea. No, marriage is a biblical blessing. Talk about the goodness. Model the goodness of marriage. This is a Christian worldview, not a secular, anti-Christian, anti-marriage, anti-biblical view. We want to put forward the truth to our children. We want to talk about their future church involvement, where they might be, how they might serve, and their future careers, leading them forward with a vision of life. Everything that we do in our homes should be intentional, and our church should be intentional. That little baby will grow up. That elementary student will one day potentially be a mother and a wife, or a father and a husband. We need to lead with a vision of the future seeking to raise daughters to be godly biblical women in the world as we saw in our discipleship sermons and young boys to be future men as we teach biblical manhood and biblical womanhood and preparing them for marriage and parenting and faithful church membership and service if they become Christians and to be a productive God glorifying in whatever vocation that God might lead them to in the future. 
And we need to realize that each of our kids is different as well. And we must spend not only time with the family as a whole, but we must invest individually with children, exactly with where they're at and with who they are and who God made them to be. Each of the kids, I can tell you, I know it now. I think I could speak to this. All six of them are so different. Uh, All my three girls are different. Then my three boys are super different as well. We need to spend time discipling and leading our kids individually on these trajectories, praying with them to cultivate their gifts and working on their weaknesses with them one-on-one as well. I'm preaching to myself on that. But again, I want us to plan and have a plan to lead, to have a vision to seek to implement, and that vision means taking steps and doing things in your home and in the church as we shoot them out as arrows into the world. And husbands, since I've already made the case that it is your job in the home to lead your home in these ways, and since I even gave you a book on Father's Day, A Guide to Biblical Manhood by Randy Stinson and Dan Dumas. You have this book. Many of you do, anyone who's here on Father's Day, at least. I will simply read the headings of the nine areas of leading with intention from this book to hopefully pique your interest and maybe get your appetite up for maybe reading this book yourselves. The headings are pretty straightforward. They'll be on the screen. There's nine of them and initiating leadership in your home with your wife and your kids, and and here they are from the book. Number one, we need to lead in vision. This is where we're going, family. Number two, lead direction. This is how we will get there. See the leadership there? And then number three, instruction. Let me show you how. Number four, Imitation, watch me. Number five, inspiration. Isn't this great? Isn't this, isn't what we've got in this home, in this family, isn't it great? In this church, isn't it great? What you're doing, isn't it great? And number six, affirmation. You're doing great too in this. Not all correction, not all getting on, on them all the time, but We're happy to be a part of this family. We're happy to be part of what we're doing. Inspire a vision and then affirm when you're seeing good things going on in your home, in your individual children. Number seven, evaluation. Then we need to pull back and say a little bit, how are we doing? Examine our homes a little bit. How's it going? Because in reality, it's not always going great, huh? We need to evaluate things and leading our home. And then number eight, correction. We We need to sometimes lead our family to make a change. Let's make a change here or there. And then number nine, and lastly, protection and provision. I'll take care of you. I'm there for you. I'm not leaving you. I love you. We need to be leading our family. Now, you may see those points on the screen and think as they're up there, man, have I failed. You may be overwhelmed at the huge responsibility and task of children's family discipleship. And, and let me so, I say, I get that because I'm overwhelmed as well. It's a big responsibility. But I want to encourage us all with this, as I've con- encouraged us before, 
it's not too late to reprioritize and refocus and repent. It's as easy as saying, I'm ready to dive in regardless of how things have been in the past and commit myself and my family now to caring about these six points that we've seen today in our sermon regarding gospel-centered children's discipleship, and you see them on the screen, to start loving them, to start worshiping with them, to start teaching them, discipling them, to start correcting them, and leading them now and into the future. It's not too late. It is never too late. God is calling us all now to prioritize this in our homes with our children or grandchildren or nieces and nephews or neighbors or even here in our church family. Maybe you even have to give a call to an adult child and let them know that you're praying for them and that you're there for them. And maybe even, this is not for all of you, but maybe even for some of you, let them know that you even regret that you might not have prioritized these things even more when they were younger. God is gracious. Connect with your children, young or old. Or for those of you with children in the home, they're still there with you, no matter the age. You might have to call a family meeting right now and let everybody know that you're ready and wanting to move forward with greater intentionality in these areas than you ever have before. And to ask them for forgiveness where you have neglected it and to seek to move forward with a new focus on intentional discipleship in your home, wherever you are at. Wherever you're at today, I wanna close this time in prayer and praying for you about these things because we all we all need God's help and none of us are perfect in any of these ways. We're all progressing. We wanna grow in these areas. I believe that God can and will help every single home and family and person in this church help to prioritize as we seek to lead in gospel-centered children's discipleship. Pray with me. Father, we do thank you for your grace in our lives and how your word gives us direction about all the things of life, even the things of raising children. Lord, we realize that this could be so weighty for us, convicting even. But God, would you not crush us, but would you encourage us? Would you give us vision, realistic vision for our families? Would you work in ways to use us all in this church, whether we're parents or not, to, to be seeking to intentionally disciple the children and youth in our church for their good, seeking to do them good. Would you use us in those ways? Would you help us in these ways? We say this in Christ's name, amen. Well, now for our time of response, I wanna do something a little bit different than we've done before as we're wrapping up our series on intentional discipleship here. This is a call for every one of us in this church, if you're a member of this church, to be seeking to care about the things of God and intentionally discipling others in your life. I want us all to be responding. There's not one person in this room that doesn't need to respond, even if that response means no response. It's always a 
response, right? We always have an opportunity and the privilege to respond to God's word. But I want to call us all here as a church, if you're a member of this church, wherever you're at in your stage of life, I want to call you to intentional discipleship in the ways that we've been seeing in this series. And I want to ask the men and women of our church, the parents of children to our church, I want to ask if you are committed now even to make this a priority in your lives, I want to ask for you to stand up right now with me so I can pray for you. So if you're a man or woman in this church, you have children or not, and you are committed to caring about pointing others to Jesus, I want you to stand up. But I do not want everybody to stand up if that is not where you're at. There'd be a lot of reasons why people would be continued sinning, so it's not about anything like that. I'd actually like for the little ones to sit down and to look around at everybody who's standing up as well to see the commitment of people from our church that are committed to their good, to other people's good, who's on their radar. So, so those of you who are ready to move forward with intentional discipleship in your families, in your homes, in your marriages, in your workplaces, would you stand with me so I can pray for you all right now here in response, and then we'll sing a song and, and go out of here worshiping and glorifying God. I will be here for you up front. Wood and I will be here. Wood will be sitting right over here. I'll be here up front to pray for those of you who would like prayer afterwards. And like I said before, just raise your hand if you'd like me to come to your seat, and we will come to your seat and pray for you there if you're not able to come forward. Pray with me, church, as I pray for us all. Our Father and our God, we do thank you you are a glorious and wonderful father to us, and you've modeled what perfect fatherhood is. We all know that we pale in comparison to you, but we want to live according to your word. We want to care about the things that you want. Father, I pray for all of those who are standing here today that are committed to seeking to do spiritual good and point others to Jesus. I pray, oh God, that you would lead them in those ways. Give them opportunities to point others to Jesus, men and women, boys and girls, in our church, in our community, people that come from the outside who are not members, members of our church, people in our family, people in our workplaces. Help them to all have it on their hearts and give them the words and the courage and the vision to care about the things that you care about, oh God. Use them, lead them, help them to follow you. Help them to do good to these little ones. Help them to do good to one another. Oh God, use us all to build up this church for your glory and for the good of everyone who is here and everyone that we come in contact to. We say this in Christ's name, amen.